how exciting. Oh, how devilishly exciting. Friends, you have no idea how lucky you are. You have no idea how the wheel of fortune has turned and has finally pointed to your number. Because you are listening to WOR. No, 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 no. WOR, no, no, radio. Standing there, looking at the Coke machine. About ten minutes ago, just looking at it, see. And I see this little notation on the top of it. It said, uh, quarters, dimes, and nickels. Quarters, dimes, and nickels. No pennies allowed. This little, this little innocent piece of plastic, quarters, nickels, dimes, no pennies allowed. And I wondered to myself suddenly, Shepard, just what are you in the great small change of mankind? Are you a quarter? Are you a nickel? Are you a dime? Or, or, or are you... A penny. A penny. Yes, the poor penny that goes up to make the dollars. The penny that provides the basic unit for the fantastic sums that go roaring through the great green paper mills of Wall Street. And yet, is not allowed. Yes, sir. Oh, gee whiz. Holy smokes, my balalaika runs out of control. It runs ahead like some maniacal beast taking over the sinews of my mind. Oh, <laughs> A discordant, ringing, clanging note that echoes throughout that vast cave of the subconscious. 
mating cry of the penny in full migratory flight. And from some far-off, distant mountain ledge comes the answering cry. And immediately the poor penny takes up the cry, raises it to greater heights of discordancy. His screams echo throughout the fiscal jungle. He waits, teetering on his rickety branch. Eon ensues while the penny rocks back and forth, his clawed feet clutching to the balsa wood branch, that poor, sad balsa wood branch that provides him a silly image of a lost and gone dream of security. He tries once again. begin to be plow, 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 passion roars like a tremendous torrent down to the... Friends, let us tonight pity the poor penny. Unwanted, unlost, unsung. A little music, please. And so tonight, this radio station, in its vast concern for the little man and the downtrodden everywhere, salutes the penny among the small change of mankind. You nickels and you quarters, you know who you are. Go down the chute. Order up another glass of sparkling, going to the head, passionate tab. The Nokia whoopee drink. We pennies will sit here waiting for our moment, but when it comes that, oh, 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 we shall flow like lemmings. We shall roar over the hillside. We shall thunder through the underbrush. We shall take over the Jersey Turnpike. We shall move onward and onward. And then one day, as we stand atop that vast Parnassus of achievement, we shall look out over what we have, we have brought to pass, and know inside of us that all it's got us, it has made us, maybe a few of us, into nickels. And a few of the pennies have been able to work their way up to quarterdom. And you notice several dimes over there. But where are the dollars? Where are the ten spots? Tonight, they're at Sardi's. 
Yes, indeed. <laughs> Which reminds me, uh, hey, isn't that a great song? Will you please give me this here? Just one moment. I want to try something here. Try something here. There's, uh, there's something, there, there's something you cannot escape. And that, that, that is the, well, nobody quite knows what it is. anybody ever even suspects. It's like my old man. I'll never forget he had this thing about pennies. He did. He collected Indian head pennies. And of course, in those days, uh, you, you, you learn a lot about life just uh, hanging around the candy store. In fact, this candy store that I hung around as a kid had a machine which you never see anymore in candy stores. They have other machines. But uh, this particular candy store had a machine that was upright, stood up on the counter, and it was covered with glass on the front. And when you looked into it, there were nails all sticking out, facing you. These nails, you could see the heads, see? And they were just, it was just like the whole machine was covered, like a pin cushion. You know those pin cushions that look like tomatoes with the little felt leaves that stick out at the top? And the pins stick all out like that. Well, the pins stuck out of this machine and faced you. See? And the bottom of the machine had about ten little numbers. Like ten. Five. Twenty-five. Fifty. One dollar. Two dollars. Three dollars. Four dollars. Five dollars. Grand All-American Jackpot. And on the top of the machine, there was just a little metal slot. And it said, place penny here. Well, I'm this kid, see. And I'm standing in the candy shop, and I'm looking at the jawbreakers. I'm looking at the, uh, I'm looking at the plastic, uh, you know, little things that, the plastic stuff they sold us and they called it candy. Uh, I'm looking at those little, you know, those little dishes with the candy in them, with the little, with the little metal spoon that uh, you dig into this stuff and it did so much for your incisor teeth and uh, I'm looking at the little root beer barrels and the juju babies and all the jazz there and seeing I've, I've got a couple of hot pennies in my hand hot in that I'd stole them from my kid brother and they're in my hand seeing I'm looking there and old man Mattingly is hanging back there by the meat block he was a very early Russian roulette player you played a kind of Russian roulette that guys played in delis. And I still see some of those guys do this. You play it with a meat cleaver and your thumb. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he used to, he used to hold his thumb down on the, on the big wooden meat block, you know, uh, the one where they chop up the soup bones and stuff. And he would chop up spare ribs. See, he'd say, watch this. Gunk, 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 gunk. 
it get closer and closer to his thumb. And all the kids are standing there looking, you know, their mouths hanging open, their eyeballs sticking out. Come, come, come. And then finally, he would lay that old chopper not a hair's breadth away from the end of that thumbnail. And he'd turn and look at us and go, Tooie. And there were men among us in them days. And so I look at, I look at old, I look at old Mattingly back there hanging, hanging over the, ch- the, the chopper. And, uh, he looks up at me and he says, what do you want, kid? And I look at the juju babies. I look at the jawbreakers. And then I look to my right and I see this machine. And I said, what's that, Mr. Mattingly? And he says, oh, that. That's just been put in here. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. How would you like to try it? I says, what do you do? He says, you put your penny right in the top there. And maybe you'll win $5. $5 just putting the penny in the slot? He says, yes. And there is a possibility you may win the grand jackpot. And I'm not even going to tell you how much that is. Well, there was a little old lady next to me with a net shopping bag and a pot on the top of her head with a geranium growing out of it. You know? And she is waiting for her spare ribs. And she says, Mr. Hoshenschlager, would you please tell Mr. Mattingly that I am waiting for him to be, to be getting on with this here? Mr. Oshenschlager owned the organization. Mr. Mattingly worked for him. He was the shill. Oshenschlager stood over by the side, big fat guy with a pipe sticking out of his trap. He was the kind of guy who all of his life wore a white apron, you know, that kind, with bloody handprints on the front. In fact, I understand he was buried in it. He didn't want any confusion when he arrived at that great bar of justice as to what he did in life. Great big bloody handprints. So Oshenschlager says to Mr. Mattingly, Well, you uh, get get going there with Mrs. Miller, yeah. And Mrs. Miller turned to me and says, Young man, I do not wish to see children gambling. Gambling? Holy smokes. Well, of course, that was the cue. And so, after the old doll left the store, I put my first penny into the great maw. That, by the way, does not relate to your mother, kid. That's another maw. If you care, you can look that up. It has another meaning. Although not really. Not if you're going to believe John Cheever. Or if you're going to believe John Updike. Or Philip Roth. They look upon the great abyss as their mother. That's the one that trapped them all. You know. Of course, old poor old Freud, he had the same hang-up too. But anyway, I put that first penny into that first slot that was the beginning. And it goes... It's fantastic to watch The penny is working its way through this fantastic maze. Clunk. It's over there in the blue slot. There was no numbers next to the blue slot. I said, how much do I win, Mr. Mattingly? Mr. Mattingly turns back to the meat cleaver and to the spare ribs and goes, He says, some win. And others, well, they just play. They like to hear the sound of the pennies going down through the nails. was then that I knew who won. I had already observed that both Mr. Mattingly and Mr. Oschenschlager were getting fatter. 
Boy, speaking of those who are getting fatter, this is WOR, AM and FM, New York. Miller High Life in Pop and Pour cans. Distinctive Miller High Life in Pop and Pour cans. Just Pop and Pour Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. No opener needed. Enjoy the light, full-flavored goodness of Miller High Life, the premium beer millions more are asking for. Miller High Life always gives you that perfect taste in beer every time. Unequal, unquestioned, unchanging. Enjoy Miller High Life in our easier-to-open pop-and-pour cans. Just pop-and-pour Miller High Life. Always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive in pop-and-pour cans. Speaking of uh, cheapies, uh, let's see here. Oh yeah, oh yes, indeed. Look, look, uh, I I, uh, I have to do this. This is a weekly ritual. We just got. <laughs> What's the matter with this microphone? It's making. Wait a minute. We got to try something here. Do you mind a minute, Bob? Excuse me. I'm trying the cannon plug on the microphone here, folks. It's all right. Is it okay in there? Can you hear it? Yeah, yeah. It's all right. All right. my eyes up. Excuse me a minute. Sometimes, you know, music does it. Now, I will award the Brass Piglicky to any one of you out there who can identify what tune we just played. It's a real puddler. Just, it's, a, it's, a, it's really a puddler-upper. And uh, speaking of puddler-uppers, uh, again, we must get back to this thing we have to do every week. Uh, we have the limelight program, which we do every week down at the Limelight, and people continually write to me here, and they say, Dear Mr. Shepard, I could not get a reservation. Would you please arrange a seat for me? Well, I'd like to, except we can't, you know. And uh, for any of you who are looking for a real wild weekend and would enjoy, I think, a taste of a kind of life and a kind of place and a situation in milieu which does not necessarily obtain in South Orange, or Philadelphia for that matter, I would suggest you make the limelight scene. And if you can't, I, I'm broadcast every Saturday night from there from 10.30 until midnight. This is a nightclub show. And I might point out, for those of you who might have heard the show and wonder what a lot of the laughing is about when you don't really hear it come over the air, it was pointed out to me the other night by... Uh, a uh, a fellow performer who came down, a nightclub performer, who said, you know, at least 65% of the show is visual. Uh, there's a lot of meme and a lot of stuff goes on in it. So if you'd like to make the Limelight Show, give him a call. Now, one other thing we must announce here, too. Uh, last, this past week, we were at Rutgers. 
And a lot of people were disappointed because they showed up and they could not get in for one reason or another. And this coming Thursday, now wait, that's not this Thursday, this week, one week from this coming Thursday, which would be December 16th, I'm going to be at Seton Hall, and that will be in the Student Union Building at Seton Hall, and that is, of course, in South Orange. The show begins at 8.30, and they are doing it absolutely on a fair basis. They're making the show open to anybody who cares to come, and the tickets will be first come, first serve, whoever happens to arrive there earliest. And uh, as we say, the show starts at 8.30. It's going to be the Student Union Building, December 16th. That's a week from this coming Thursday. And uh, I expect a genuine outpouring of love. Now, I don't want any wise guys. Now, that's got to be understood. I'm coming there to be, well, to be loved. And by George, if you love me, I'll love you when we're there. And we just do all... And by the way, I'm also intending, if I can get away with it, we're having a lot of trouble over there with the with the uh, with the administration of Seton Hall because I'm intending to do my famous underwater ballet. Now, uh, no, that uh, it has only received two American performances, and the first one resulted in an awful situation. I'll never forget that whole night we were down at the tombs. There was a lot of yelling and hollering, and that uh, we hope to have this one go off much smoother. So Thursday night, a week from Thursday, we're going to attempt to do our famous underwater ballet if. You know how people are. There's so many small-minded people around. Uh, speaking of small-minded people, we have also with us the electronic workshop. And uh, uh, they, uh, a guy wrote to me, and he said, Shepard, I've been going all over town pricing KLH. Well, fool, knave, uh, the electronic workshop has all the KLH equipment on hand, and they will match anybody's prices in the country on any of the equipment that they sell. And more than that, they'll stand behind this stuff. They're, they're right there. And next week or two weeks afterwards or a month later, if you have trouble, the same guy that sold it to you will be there. He will look you right in the eye and admit he remembers you. Okay? <laughs> this, is the, this is the electronic workshop. They're in the village. And by the way, if you do not live in the village and you cannot get to the village, they will, they will install it in your home. They will uh, deliver, and they will deliver in all these three areas around. In fact, one night we had a guy who called down. This is a quick little comment from all the way up in Stores, Connecticut. And they drove all the way up there to install a, a high-fidelity system in his house from listening on the show. And their number is Gramercy 30140, and it's 26 West 8th Street. Okay? And one more, we have Rover 2000 on hand. And uh, I understand that another magazine is preparing a top-flight uh, piece on the Rover for next month. And when it comes out, I'll read excerpts from this piece to you. This is a great automobile. It's one of the finest machines made in the world today. It's not cheap. Nothing that's good is. It's probably the safest car that's ever been designed, and incidentally also one of the fastest and one of the most beautiful to drive. This is not a conservative machine in any sense of the word. It's built by the same company that builds the great Rover Land Rover, and again, it's the Rover 2000 Gran Turismo. Okay, back to the life that we know, friends. And, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to carry out this, this penny scene, I'll never forget. How many of you ever heard of this particular myth? Now, America has its own myths. Uh, every time you go to Europe or you go, people go to places like, uh, Borneo, or they come back, like Margaret Mead travels all the way to Polynesia to come back with a whole book of myths. 
And uh, we all exclaim, and boy, we say, isn't that fantastic? Look at all those myths those people live under. And we rarely recognize the myths that are our own. You know what I'd like to do? I seriously would like to, to compile a book of American myths. And I'm talking about the kind of myths, for example, that always pop up in millions of, of little places that are believed completely, implicitly, and totally. By, and, and, and I say most of them are among men. <laughs> most of the myths are men. I, I don't know why this is. For example, uh, there must be at least 20 million men within range of, uh, of this microphone, and that doesn't mean they're listening, but they're within range of this microphone, who believe one of the great myths that my old man believed. I, I remember this myth for years. He believed that if he got the right penny with the right date on it and sent it to the Ford Motor Company in Dearborn, Michigan, they would send him a new Ford. Now, he believed that myth. Oh, yeah, and he collected pennies all the time. I mean, he had millions of pennies. As a matter of fact, he used to, at one point, he was working as a cashier in this big outfit, and they were bringing, he would look at every penny they would give him because he hoped one day in would come a V8. You see, he believed that, as far as I know, to the last day of his life. Now, there were other myths he believed. There was the old gold cigarette wrapper myth. Or was it the Lucky Strike cigarette wrapper myth? Now, this one held that if you got the right old gold wrapper, or was it Lucky Strikes? It was one or the other. I don't recall specifically. But inside this wrapper, there was a number. You know, if you ever take the, the uh, packages apart way down, you'll find a little number printed in there. That there was a number. And if you got the right number, and it hit the jackpot, and you mailed it to the Ford Motor Company, they would be glad to send you a new Ford. Now, why it all resolved itself into a new Ford, I don't know. But many of these myths had to do with that, a new Ford. Then there was also the myth that had to do with under the cork, you know, the cork inner lining inside of a pop bottle, that if you got the right cork, inside that cork there was a number. I think this was Pepsi-Cola or Coca-Cola. I don't know which one this was. But he was always prying out the corks, looking for the number. <laughs> and if you got the right number... And, and you sent it in to guess who they would send you, guess what? Well, now, to my knowledge, nobody, any, anybody in Indiana ever got a free Ford for sending anything to the Ford company outside of money and a lot of it. And so, so but, but this myth persisted. Now, one of his greatest myths of all, this is, this is one he cherished. I'll tell you, he held this little myth next to him like, uh, like old, old ladies hold babies, you know. He loved it. He'd pat it and he'd burp it and he kept it next to him and once in a while when he was particularly bugged, he had a couple of beers and he was yelling around about they, you know, the system, all them rotten guys. Uh, he, <laughs> this was his, one of his greatest of all myths. His, his myth was this. He would sit there. Now, I've, I've said this on the air before, but I'm, I'm saying it because I want to relate it to something else to refresh those of you who might have heard this myth. You've heard it it's a million times. He'd sit there, see, kitchen table. You got a scene? He's bugged. He's been reading the paper. The White Sox have dropped 29 straight. And uh, it looks like they're not only headed for the cellar of the American League, they've now worked themselves down into the International Association. They are tied with Montreal and going down, see. And he's sitting there bugged. The Cubs have won 27 straight. So his life is crumbling around them. 
Not only that, but the Graham Page has been making a funny noise for the last month and a half, and once again, it is obvious that he was taken by Friendly Fred, the used car dealer, whom he dealt with religiously. And he and Fred, by the way, had a totally religious ritual about how they would buy cars and sell cars. And Fred was always calling up, I got just what you've been watching for, Shepard, I got it right now, I'm holding it. And the old man would knock over the, the, he would knock over the footstool and fall down the steps, run down the street to take a look at this fantastic clunker that old Fred had lined up for him. And he was always under the illusion that he and Fred, there was no chicanery between the two of them. You know, they knew each other so well that Fred knew that he could put anything over this fantastic, this knowledgeable machine type man. You know, he knew all about it. And so as a natural result, my father was the only guy I ever heard of in Indiana who bought a Hupmobile with a rubber frame. I'll tell you, you never saw a car 20 minutes after we got it that was so out of line. In fact, I'm a kid, see, and I'm sitting in the back seat of the Hupmobile, get this, and on, on turns, I would be ahead of my old man who was driving. And quite often, when, when we would be just going along the outer drive, we're driving along, see, the car is going sideways, and I'm sitting up next to my mother now, although I'm in the back seat. My mother sat up in the front with my kid, you know, up there with the, with the old man. And so all four of us would be going sideways. My father would have to drive by looking out of the side window and steering, you know, it was so out of line. Well, that was, that was the kind of cars he always, and he says, well, I kind of like it this way. After a while, he would, he would convince himself that he liked cars that were out of line. They had character. He said, not only do they have character, but you know, you can see the road better out of the side window like that, see? So it was that kind of scene. And he had this, he had this myth. This was his myth. We're sitting there at the kitchen table. Got it? He's bugged. And the next thing you know, he'd come out with, oh boy, I'll tell you. Boy, someday I'm telling you, he had this great, he had this great line. I don't, uh, it's funny, he didn't realize how prophetic it was. His, his, this was always good for a laugh down at Flick's Tavern or down at the Bluebird. He would say, comes the revolution? That's what he always would say. <laughs> He'd say, oh boy, comes the revolution? Let me tell you. And my mother would say, what's the matter now? He'd say, you know, I met a guy down at the Bluebird. Now, he says, I know, I, I, boy, so this, is a, this is the kind of stuff that makes guys really get bugged, I'll tell you. I met this guy down at the Bluebird, see, and we're sitting there. He didn't know me, he had no axe to grind. He turns to me and he says, listen, he says, buddy, he says, we had a couple of beers together, you know, we're talking about stuff. And all of a sudden he says, you look like the kind of guy I can trust. I says, all right, so you can trust me. And he says, let me tell you something. I got this brother-in-law who lives in Andersonville, Indiana, see? And you know Andersonville, they make a lot of cars down there. My mother says, yeah, 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 okay. He says, yeah, they make a lot of cars. You know, they make that Cummings diesel there. They got all kinds of machinists there. Well, he's got this cousin, see? And he says, I got a cousin in Andersonville, Indiana, who works in this machine shop. And he knows a guy. Now, this is the God's honest truth. He knows a guy what invented a carburetor that runs off of water. Not only that... This thing gives you over 50 miles to the gallon of water. Well, of course, what happened? They hit him on the head. They threw a sack over him. The next thing you know, they bought him out. And you know, they sent him down to South America. He had to sign a contract that he'd never come back to this country again. They're keeping it off the market. Boy, I don't think these car guys don't have a tie-in with the guys that make the gas. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Holy smokes. Why do you know? And I, I, listen, many times I've talked to guys that tell me many times. Do you know that they've got right now on the market? It's, it's, you can, you can get it if you know where to go. A lot of the rich guys got them. That 
you can get a spark plug that lasts for the life of the car, and not only that, it gives you 40 miles to the gallon. They're keeping that one off. Hmm. Well, the old man loved this thing. He kept this myth going for years. And he used to keep it, this thing. And then one day he comes home. I'll never forget this myth. By this time, everybody's getting kind of bugged about the myths around the house, you know. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a growing up hippie type, you know. I'm the whole new scene, new generation, the whole bit, you know. Come on, Dad, cool it, you know, and all that. And so <laughs> one day the old man is sitting at the kitchen table and he says, All right, now take a look at this. Into his pocket, he reaches and he lays down in front of us. He lays a whole big pile of pennies. They all go all over the place. He says, you see them pennies? I say, yeah. My mother is over the sink there, working her Brillo pad. She looks back over. My father was, uh, he was, the big difference between my father and, say, somebody like uh, Willie Loman was that my father had a sense of humor. <laughs> and also a sense of reality. He never once figured that they were going to call him from the main office and make him God, see. And so he's sitting there, and he's got all these pennies piled up in front of him. Big stack of pennies. He looks down at the pennies, and he says, See, take a look at them pennies. I says, Yeah. My mother says, Yeah. He says, One day, them pennies are going to be worth a fortune. My mother says, Why? He says, look at what kind they are. They are Indian head pennies. Well, of course, in those days, Indian head pennies were penny pennies. Yeah, there were millions of Indian head pennies. They were just like pennies, you know. He said, they're going to be worth a fortune. And I'm going to save them. I heard a guy down at the Bluebird Tavern tell me. He said, you know, I'm sitting there. The guy's got no axe to grind. He doesn't know me from Adam, see. He turns to me and he says, you save Indian head pennies. They're going to be worth a pile of dough one day. I said, how come you know? He says, I got a guy that works in the Mint, a friend of mine, works in the Mint in Lexington. And he tells me they're going to stop making Indian head pennies, and they're going to be worth a million dollars if you got enough of them. So my mother says, yes. And if you find the right penny and send it in to Dearborn, and they'll send you a Ford if it's got the right date on it. And not only that, if you, if you get the right Lucky Strike cigarette label that's got the right number in it and send it off, they'll send you a Ford. He says, don't you kid yourself. One day, Mr. Bruner's going to get a Ford and you're going to laugh out of the other side of your face. And so from that day on, the old man collected Indian head pennies. He had sacks of them. He had them, he had them put in these, these, uh, these bags, you know, that, that, uh, that flour comes in, the checkered bags on the side, it says Purina flour. He had them all stacked away. They were getting green. And more and more pennies were collecting. He must have had 5,000 Indian head pennies. He would put them in every day. And of course, like all myths, the trouble with a myth, and incidentally, this is also related to the great white ship myth, which is very, very prominent throughout the Polynesian islands, that they figured that any minute now, see, over the horizon, the big white ship is going to come. And this ship is going to have neon sails, see. It's going to look like a big 707. It's going to come out of the sky, and the figurehead standing on the front of it is going to be President Johnson. Or somebody else, whoever, whoever at the time is the big white father of America, that's who's going to be standing on the deck there of this great white ship that's going to come out of the sky and it's going to pick them all up and carry them to heaven.
The only trouble with a myth like that is that it only has a certain lifespan. This goes maybe one or maybe two generations, and pretty soon a lot of guys are sitting around and they're drinking Uawaka or whatever the local beer is, and somebody says, ah, oh, that great white ship jazz. Don't give me that stuff. And, of course, the old guys are sitting around believing it. And the next thing you know, there's a fist fight. And the young guys that are drinking the jazz have got the big signs out now. They're protesting. No, great white ship, that's jazz. Stop believing in that junk, that bunk. And the old man, of course, he's protesting that it's going to happen. But that little seed of doubt has been planted. And so, within a very short time, the myth sails downhill, and it's gone forever. Well, so it was with the Indian head pennies. There was a fantastic flurry of Indian head pennies saving in our house for about maybe three or four years. But there still remained Indian head pennies. They still were being bought and sold by the millions down at Mattingly's store. Kids had hands full of them and were buying stuff like juju babies with them, and the old man was saving them. But there seemed to be more and more. And then gradually he began to stop saving Indian head pennies. And finally came the big war. And there was a drive. I remember I'm this kid, you know, there's a big drive. They go around, all your copper, send it in. If you've got any copper, if you've got collections of coins. And down under the basement steps, my father had guarded for years his Indian head pennies. And my mother's over there by the sink, and she says, Hey, why don't we just take all those Indian head pennies down and take them to the bank, and they'll give us nickels and dimes for them, and maybe they can use the copper. You remember when they were turning out these lead pennies, these funny pennies? And so the old man says, Ah, oh, yeah, go ahead. He says, They're not worth nothing. And they took all of the Indian head pennies. They were green and moldy and rusty. There were 5,000 big bags of them. And they took it down. They got maybe 10 or $15 in cash. And that was the end of the great myth. Well, not more than three days ago, I'm looking through the New York Times. And you know in the back there where they've got all the surplus parachutes. And they've got the surplus bazookas and all that wonderful stuff there just on the other side of the crossword puzzle. I'm looking through this and there was a little thing that says cash. Cash, any amount that says offered, bought, and sold Indian pennies in any condition wanted. From 50 cents to $5 a piece. Indian head pennies wanted, 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 wanted. Send your name and address to Bonanza, Box 17, Las Vegas, Las Vegas. And I looked at that, see, and I could hear the sound of my mother saying, ah, let's take him down to the bank. And the old man letting his Indian head pennies slowly dribble through his hands. And I could see somewhere off in the, off in the far horizon, I can see that great white ship approaching over the, just over the edge of the clouds, just where the sea hits the land. That great white ship is coming, and standing on the poop deck is President Johnson, and he's holding aloft a neon torch. The flags are flying. He is coming closer and closer, but there's nobody there to meet it. Nobody believed. And they're all down at the Bluebird Tavern drinking Huawaka. And they're collecting the skulls. And they're raising the bones for the next great myth that no one will believe until the time comes. Well, that's my weakness now. Well, that's my weakness now.
things that, that, that in our just, you know, just daily walking around scratching and spitting life that we put down that is true. And on the other hand, I wonder how much crud each one of us has in, the, in that great wastebasket that's between our ears, that great fantastic file cabinet that's slapped down there hanging over our rib cage that is totally ridiculous and false. And, you know, and in fact, I've often thought that if they ever came out, just, you know, in this fantastic scientific experiment, where they had, a, had an experiment, a machine, that would eradicate all tripe from your mind, would just automatically eradicate it, how many of us would submit to it? I mean, how many of us would sit down and say, okay, give me the electrodes, turn it on, I can see this guy who's got this fantastic Ph.D., see, in something like philological theology. <laughs> and he sits down there, you know, and they give him the thing, and after it's all over, all he knows how to do is to spell a few words. Or or uh, maybe somebody, but of course, you know, it gets a little nip and tuck here and there. You better stay close to home plate. Of course, then again, on the other hand... Uh, there is that philosophical question that should be asked, and we might as well ask it. What are you in the great small change of mankind? Are you a quarter? Are you a nickel? A dime? Are you a fold of money? Or are you just one of those pennies? One of those great, vast, unnumbered pennies that not even the Pepsi-Cola machines take. Just there. Just one of that fantastic collection of lemmings that are waiting for God knows what. The great white ship, maybe. Who knows? 